Well, good morning, Austin Oaks Church. How's everyone doing today? Y'all should be really excited. I mean, my goodness. Not just for Sunday. I mean, the Astros are going to the World Series again. Texas squeaked out a win against a no-name team. That's a little bit of a backhanded shot. I'm trying to be a Longhorns fan. I am trying. But I was in Pittsburgh. I am a University of Pittsburgh Panthers fan still to heart. And I just, I'm trying. I'm trying. I promise you, I'm trying. I'm trying as hard as I can. So, hey, before we get too far into the message and the word, sports obviously is a hobby, right? It's a hobby that a lot of us have and enjoy. And so I want to start out with a story that I think is going to be really pertinent and important for us. And I want to talk to you about a hobby of mine and my wife's. You see, um, my wife, my beautiful wife Cheryl, would say that we are foodies. Now, whenever I hear that word, it makes me cringe a little bit because it sounds so pretentious. Um, because, like, when I hear that word, I think of, like, oh, man, when, whenever we say the word foodie, we're, like, thinking, people are thinking, like, oh, really extravagant, sophisticated, expensive food. And sometimes that is true. But I just like, and Cheryl just likes good food, prepared well, well thought out, with quality ingredients. And sometimes it's expensive, and sometimes it isn't. So the, for the better part of the past 20 years, for as long as my wife and I have been together, courtship, engagement, marriage, we indulged, if you will, in various locales throughout the places that we lived. We just like it. It's just like one of those things, pun somewhat intended, that feeds our souls, right? We just like it. It's, it's life-giving for us. It's, a, it's therapeutic. It's, it's a diversion. And so, and so at this stage of life, you know, 20 years in, we just don't have the luxury and the latitude to go out as much as we, we used to. My wife has a job that is time-consuming. My job is certainly somewhat time-consuming. Our kids are at the stages of life where they all are in extracurricular activities, multiple extracurricular activities. And so it's funny enough that we were starting to talk about this sermon series, Church for Monday, and it was one of those days where my wife and I were texting in between in meetings, and, and we were like, okay, not only do we not have the time to cook dinner, we don't have the food to cook dinner. That's supposed to be funny. <laughs> I'm a pastor with three kids. Anyway, so we didn't have the food to cook dinner. We didn't, we didn't get, do H-E-B curbside. If you haven't done that yet, man, you need to try it. That is a time saver, man. Praise God for H-E-B curbside service. So we didn't have time to do that. So we're texting back and forth and like, get, get this kid, you get this kid, I'll get this kid. I got to finish up this meeting. And, and Pastor Brandon is pulling on me too hard and, and he's making my life very difficult. Please email him and tell him to back up. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I love Pastor Brandon. Um, As well, we all do. Um, So we're texting back and forth, and we realize that we just don't have the time or the food to make dinner. So we start going back and forth and say, well, we've got to go somewhere to eat out. And so the inevitable question starts arising in this text chain, which is, where do we go? Where do we go? And so for me, I'm like thinking like, whoa, this is such a great opportunity. We never get to go out anymore. never get to enjoy each other's company. And and I get to go do something I really love to do. 
and I'm a little bit more adventurous than my wife. I'm not way outside of the box, but I'm a little bit more adventurous than my wife is when it comes to food. And so I'm like thinking, I'm like, okay, let's try this place. No, 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 we're not trying anything new. We don't have time for that. I don't want to, she's like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to spend time and energy and money on that. I'm like, okay, well, let's go to some of these. No, no, that's, that's a little bit too extreme. So we're going back and forth and reluctantly I agreed and relented to where she said we were going to go eat dinner. And I don't want to say where it was because I know like how you are because I would be like this too. I'd be up there, I'm like Googling it, like what's a restaurant? If you're really that interested, you can ask me after service. But you're probably at this point thinking like, okay, this is a church service and we're supposed to be talking about God and all I've been hearing about is sports and food and what's wrong with this dude? I'm going to tell you in a moment why it's so important because there was a really incredible God opportunity for us. So we reluctantly, I reluctantly went. We go to this place, and our kids obviously are with us because they got to eat too. <laughs> and since we don't go out that much more, you know, our older two kids have this luxury and latitude to know what it's like to behave out in public, whereas our youngest, who's a little bit more active than the other two, He's, I, I've noticed that we, we've put him on a, a pretty long leash. <laughs> and so when we're at this restaurant, he's acting up and acting out. And I gently slide my, uh, my wife looks at me and I get that look from her. And so she's like, if you don't do something, I'm going to do it. And so I gently slide my chair over. And with that nice Sunday smile on my face, I have a very firm discussion with my youngest. And I say, you know, there's consequences to your actions and the consequences you won't like them much because they won't involve us eating dinner with your sisters and your mom. They're going to involve us leaving the restaurant. You can put the rest together if you like. I don't I'm going to tell you why it was so important that I had that reserved Sunday service smile on because we all know what Sunday service smiles are and we put on somewhat of a facade if we're being really honest. You know, I mean, this pulpit doesn't protect me from being a real, I'm a real person with real problems just like you are. And so, so I have this Sunday service smile on and, I, and I'm, I'm firm with my child, but at the end of the meal, a guy who's sitting right across the table from us, right at the next table, stands directly up, makes a beeline towards us and says, hey, don't I know you? And my wife instantly says, yes, you do. We met this guy six to nine months prior to at another restaurant. And I'll never forget it because we left that restaurant. Well, let me back up here for just one second. A little history. So when my wife and I go out, even if we're just like on a date ourselves, we're just like, I want to say that like it's the nice way to say it is like, ah, we're just curious, inquisitive people, but we're probably just nosy. And we just want to get to know other people. So it's partially good, partially maybe we're just nosy. I don't know. So we like, we're inquisitive. And so we end up talking to a lot of different people and interacting with them. We just like it. We just engage with people. It's just who we are. And so <clears throat> when we met this guy, there was a pretty good chance that I got his phone number. And knowing that, <clears throat> that six to nine months ago, that I probably got his phone number, God knows my number, because I didn't follow up with him. And I won't forget, I remember having a conversation with Pastor Brandon and our staff after dialoguing with this guy, knowing, and there's no other way to say it, but this guy probably is heavily influential in the city. Just by the company he kept, 
You could just tell that. And through the dialogue that we had, it was probably, I'm probably fairly certain to say that he didn't go and doesn't go to church. No judgment, just observation. Let me ask you a question. In a city of nearly one million people, one million people, and the fact that my wife and I rarely go out to dinner, and I reluctantly went to the one place that she wanted to go, with the hundreds if not thousands of restaurants and food trucks, what do you think the chances of us running into this guy who I felt compelled to so much show to witness to that I shared it with my colleagues? Six to nine months later, I am not a mathematician, but I bet you I would have a better chance of winning the lottery. You see, God presents us these opportunities, and it's his graciousness that he says, you missed it. You missed it. Here you go again. I'm presenting you with an opportunity to share about me. God knows our tendencies. He knows we're going to drop the ball, and that's okay. But here's why we're talking about this, because we're going to get into the heart of this passage that we're, we're, most of us are familiar with in Matthew chapter 11, verses 25 through 30, talking about rest for the weary. But I did as much research as I could and prayer as I could prior to, and uh, you, you, you go through as much research as you can when you, when you preach. And so I read chapter 11. And I'm paraphrasing here, and I'm giving you the gist, the 30,000-foot view, if you will, is that what basically God is saying in, in the entirety of this leading up to Matthew verses 25 through 30 is he's like, I am the God of heaven and earth, and I will use any means necessary that I deem fit to spread my message. I will use whatever means necessary that I see fit to spread my message. He's going to use an entirety of spectrum of ideas and things, not the least of it when we go through the Bible, we talk about and see about uh, the raising of the dead, opening blind eyes, healing the sick, all of it to get his message across. Then he goes into this part, and again, we don't have all day to talk about this, but he starts talking about himself compared to John the Baptist. Right? He talks about himself compared to John the Baptist. Lots of dialogue going on here. But at one point, Jesus, this is Jesus' words. He says, see, John came neither eating nor drinking. Because we all know that John the Baptist lived in solitude. He ate honey and locusts and wore weird fur. He was in solitude. He deprived himself. He had an aesthetic life, which he, means he, he deprived himself of anything other than what he felt was necessary to spread the message. Jesus contrasted himself with John the Baptist and said he communed with sinners. It wasn't just the sinners and the tax collectors. He sat at feasts with Pharisees and teachers of the law. Jesus' words, the Son of Man came eating and drinking, in contrast to John, and they say, here is a glutton and a drunkard then he goes on to talk about three cities near the, in or near, near or on the Sea of Galilee, where he talks about the miracles that he performed and the messages that he preached, and talks about the fact that not everyone fully grasped the gospel, even though, right? Why is he saying all this? 
Why is he saying, hey, I'm gonna use whatever means necessary. I'm gonna use somebody who's deprived themselves of everything except for me and what's necessary to live to get the message across. Or, I love the way that one theologian said it this way, about Jesus, it says, Jesus, he said, is not shy of any company. He would sit with anyone. He is using extreme measures to tell us to lead into this very important passage about miracles and John and communing with sinners. Why? Because of his burden for lost souls. So what if he's spending so much time and energy talking about, hey, I'm going to use whatever means necessary to get to lost souls. If that's his burden, what do you think he wants our burden to be? Matthew 25, 11, 25 through 30. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to what? Little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. All things have been committed to me by who? My Father. Are you, are you kind of starting to see a pattern here? And no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal to him. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and this is the part that we're all familiar with, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke and learn from me. I'm humble in heart and gentle. My yoke, my burden, easy, light. The reason Jesus is talking about father and children relationships is far more than just words here. A father and child relationship has a lot more to do than just authority, care, and concern. It's a dissemination of information. It's teaching. He's teaching us. What do you think I do with my kids? I teach them. I have to teach them. They don't know. They don't know everything. It's just how the world works. And God is saying, I am your father and I am teaching you. I have to teach my 13-year-old different than I teach my 7-year-old. Even if you don't have kids, you fully understand that as a 7-year-old, you don't know all the things you do as a 13-year-old, either by virtue of experience or just by education, right? Life. Life happens. You don't know everything, which is how God set it up. Hear me on this. I have to know what's good for kids. I have to know what's good for my kids. Otherwise, they're going to be on a trajectory that's not going to be good. So in the same way, no matter what their age is, 13, 7, whatever, no matter what their age is, I have to know what's good for them to teach them. In the same way, we have to trust that our Father, God, knows what's good for us. The best way I can help you understand this, it would be like me saying to my seven-year-old, ah, he knows more than I do. He knows better about his life than I do. That is ludicrous. Yet that's precisely what we do when we approach God. We take ourselves and we essentially say, 
father-to-father relationship, which has no, absolutely no bearing on what Jesus is saying here. It's not a father-to-father relationship. It's a father-to-son. It's a father-to-daughter relationship. It's a teaching moment. He's speaking about this incredible opportunity that we have to go to, as Pastor Brandon has talked about um, over the past several weeks, uh, this, the, the Lord of heaven and earth, this sovereign, supreme, all-powerful being is allowing us to have this fatherly relationship with us. Don't think for a second, because here's part of the problem, is we will look at this relationship and, 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 and it's us about wanting to know more about God because that's a lot of times what we do is we want to lo- learn more about our relationship with God. And I don't want to get bogged down in this, but it's a lot more about us knowing who we are in God than about God, if that makes sense. Because we have to trust him in this authority that he has for us. So when Jesus speaks of things revealed to little children, it's a direct reference back to God the Father. He's taking a direct shot at the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. He's taking a direct shot at them, these guys who knew a lot. So when we go out on our Monday rolls, and notice I said rolls and not jobs, it's not the wisdom of the world that's going to prevail. It's going to be Christ that prevails. 1 Corinthians tells us that the world by wisdom did not know God. It's a revelation. It's spiritual God's going to use whatever means necessary. My child believes me in a teaching moment. And I sit down, I look at him eye to eye. He believes me. He trusts me. We've developed this relationship where he trusts me. He'll push back at times, but by and large, he'll trust me. And so the question I have for us is if we've gone through all this scripture here, and I encourage you to read Matthew chapter 11, and you see what Jesus is saying about, I'm going to use whatever means necessary to get my message across. And then he goes into this dialogue about father and child before he gets into rest, right? Then we have to believe that God is using it as a teaching moment for us. And if we do that, and if we do that, which we should, the hard part is coming because it says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'm gonna give you rest. Take my yoke, my yoke upon you and learn from me. I am gentle and humble in heart and you're gonna find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Do you know why his yoke is easy and his burden is light? No, seriously, do you? It's his. It's his yoke and burden. It's not ours. Do you know why you're not at rest? Because you have inadvertently and unintentionally put yourselves back under the Old Testament. Ouch. It hurts. I know. Because I do it. And we're trying to do all this weird stuff and fulfillment of these laws, the hundreds of laws, which is the total antithesis of the Bible and everything that Jesus represents. He is the fulfillment of the law. He already did the work for us. Have you ever thought about why you're so weary? And I do. I mean, all this striving, ladder climbing, and jobs, and money, and keeping up with the Joneses, and, and school, and relationships, it wears me out. And it should be wearing you out too. And I know I'm not up here alone in this feeling. So what do we do? What do we do? 
we yoke ourselves to Jesus. What is a yoke? What does it even imply? I'll tell you what, yoke implies work, but it's a godly work, and it's a gracious work. And it comes only from understanding that the supreme, all-powerful being has a loving, fatherly relationship with us. Yoke in the Bible means, hear me, pull together, one unit, a balance. Are you one with God? Is your life balanced in Christ? Are you pulling together with him or apart from him? That weariness that you feel, that edginess, that tiresome, that, that lifestyle of just, you just can't, you're, you're just sucking wind, that's you pulling away from God. Can I take it a step further? Here's what Jesus means when he says, my yoke is easy and my burden light. Because it sounds so simple, and it is, and we've heard it so many times over the years. There's also a depth to it. And so I spent as much time in this particular passage as I could. Let me help us go through this for a second. The yoke of Christ, since it's Christ's yoke and not ours, is not only easy, but it's refreshing. It's refreshing. He even says it's sweet and manageable and pleasant and virtuous. It implies that it's well-fitted and useful. Seriously, does that sound anything like the yoke that you put on yourself? Doesn't sound like the one I put on, and I can't be alone. I know when I'm tired and weary and irritated and agitated, I am not yoked to God in that moment. I guarantee it. I guarantee it. See, we want to be our own authority. We act like it. We talk about submitting to God's will, but the reality is most of us submit to our own will. When God wants, he wants a melding of our will with his, a melding. It's not control. He just wants us to be in line. He wants us to be yoked together with him. He wants to meld his will with ours because his burden is different than our burden. The yoke that he has for us is different than the yoke that we put on ourselves. Yoke is shared. Look, work was never meant to be tiring and burdensome, ever. I know that sounds crazy, but if you don't believe me, you can look no further than the very second chapter of the Bible. Second chapter of the Bible. In Genesis 2, it says, the Lord God took the man and put him to what? Work. He took man and put him to work in the garden prior to the fall of mankind. An implication that we are trying to work our way back into this garden because it's in our DNA that we know that we're supposed to work. We're just doing the wrong work. We're spending too much energy. I'm not saying God doesn't care about those other things. That is not what I'm saying. Please don't hear me say that. I'm saying that he wants his burden and his yoke for us. We have to yoke ourselves to God. Church for Monday, how about church for every day? Like every single day of our life? Why wouldn't we do that? It's easy, 
It's useful. It's refreshing. It's well-suited. It fits us. The rest God is talking about, the rest that God is talking about is us not lying in the backyard in a hammock with a gentle breeze. And praise God for hammocks. I love hammocks. That's not the rest that he's talking about. He's talking about resting in him and yoking ourselves to him. Is it your job to be a salesman, a vendor, a doctor, a nurse, a florist, a truck driver? Is it my job to be a pastor? No. Nope. That's my vocation. It's my occupation. My job, your job, is to be a disciple of Jesus. Do you really think that God cares more about you getting them the raise, getting the raise, than the person giving you the raise? I don't think so. I think he cares more about that person. It's obvious from this passage that's his burden. Or are you wanting a new situation altogether, a new job, or you want to be moved from a difficult trial of your life? You see, at one point of time, the children of Israel, they sat under this cloud, and they couldn't move, and they wouldn't move unless the cloud, God's presence, moved before them. And so the question I have for us is the cloud moving and you're praying in that situation or are you just wanting the cloud to have moved? And I want to say this delicately because it's very important for us to understand this. If the cloud hasn't moved and the situation is difficult and dire, it's not to say you don't pray through it. I would just kindly and gently say, which is what I say to myself, as difficult as it may be at times, Please don't miss what God has for you in that moment. Because maybe, just maybe, he is presenting somebody, the God of heaven and earth, of the universe. He's presenting you with a situation that you potentially have missed over time. And he's making it as obvious as day and night to you as he did with me, with this gentleman, and saying, you missed it once, please don't miss it again. Because we are to partner with God, and he wants us to have his burden, and he wants us to be yoked with him. There's a rest in it. It's refreshing, and it gives us the opportunity to partner with God to do what? The most important work that you can possibly do, and that is presenting somebody with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's church for Monday. As employees, employers, and students, we have this cool luxury that we, if you will, get to clock in and clock out. That's great. I love that. I can get in my car and clock out. As a Christian, I don't have that luxury afforded to me. I just don't. I can't. Because if we take this teaching tool that God gives us, this Bible, it says that my life is not my own anymore. My life is in Christ. And my burden needs to be his burden. And my yoke needs to be with him. You don't have the luxury of turning off your Christianity. 
Do we use every situation to be Christ-like and share Jesus? Can we do something? Can we make a commitment to each other to say, okay, I'm going to pray that God gives me the ability and strength to do that, to give me these opportunities that he is easily going to do? He's going to easily put people in front of us who need to hear this gospel of grace. And can we take those opportunities? Can we, at least for the next season, for the next three months, whatever it may be, can we take these situations and do that together where we present the gospel to other people when the cloud hasn't moved for us? Would you be willing to do that? I mean, can, literally, can I hold you accountable? Can you hold me accountable? Because what happens when we come across a situation like I did with my wife at the very beginning of the sermon series where God is putting somebody in a situation where he is making it as plain as day that I missed it because my burden isn't his. I mean, he's made it plain as day, and for me it's not condemnation, it's just conviction. So you better believe I have this person's phone number, and then I'm gonna do what I can to have church from Monday through Saturday. Can you imagine what God would do in this city and through this church if we all had experiences like that? Which I know he does. I know he gives us. I know I'm not alone. We all have these experiences where God is presenting opportunities for us to tell people about himself. pray. Would you guys stand with me? Lord, we thank you that you will use whatever means necessary. Whatever you see fit, you'll do. Whatever miracles need to happen, you'll perform. Can you just help us to be proper conduits and proper ambassadors of Christ as though you're appealing through us. Lord, will you help us? I know you're going to present these opportunities for us. Would you help us to recognize these opportunities, these God moments, when it feels like circumstances of life are adjusting around us and that we're just accommodating these circumstances when in actual fact you're moving in it. You're making an opportunity for us I know I'm not alone. I know I'm not alone. Help us to see these opportunities and to capitalize them, not for us, not for Austin Oaks, but for your name's sake. We desperately, we know, we know that our roles in life just give us opportunities to talk about you, Jesus, to talk about what you did for us. Lord, I thank God that there's going to be incredible testimonies coming out of this series, Church for Monday. I believe it with all my heart. I believe that there's going to be an incredible move of your spirit in this city. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.